Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truth about life and the afterlife. Every person has a birth date and a death date. Every person is responsible and accountable to God for what they have done in life. Every person will spend eternity separated from God or with God. People say, well, I don't, even want, I don't know if I want to live eternally. You don't have a choice. You're going to live eternally. All you can do is make your reservation where you want to spend it. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Religion, as well-meaning as it might be, can only lead one down the path of destruction. But the scary thing is, it can sound so much like the truth. Today, as he continues his in-depth study series of the Gospel of Luke, Pastor Xavier points out the danger of false teaching and false teachers. Let's join him in chapter 20 for today's look at the importance of the truth of the Scriptures. Luke chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 27 to 40. And the message is entitled, Marriage and the Resurrection. Now the Sadducees take their turn attempting to prove Jesus wrong by asking a question about the relationship of a husband and wife in marriage to refute the resurrection here in verses 27 to 40, characterized by the following three things. First, the hypocritical question about marriage, verse 27 and 28. The Sadducees, as you know, were one of the three groups mentioned in the New Testament. The Pharisees were the most prominent. It means the uh, separatists. They were the religious rulers of Israel, having originated from the great synagogue after the Babylonian captivity, as we've seen. And they accepted all the Old Testament books, even the oral tradition that they had just multiplied over in their legalism. They sought praise in outward observance, um, external rites, outward pieties, washing and fastings and praying on street corners and all, thinking they were self-righteous. But they were bitter enemies of enemy, of Jesus. They opposed him constantly, and Jesus rebuked them severely for their greed, ambition, and hypocrisy. You also have the Herodians. The Herodians were um, a political party of the royal family of Herod the Great and his sons. And they were uh, strange bedfellows, uh, the Herodians and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, in that they had a common hatred for Jesus. Then you have these Sadducees here. Uh, the name Sadducee means um, the righteous from the Hebrew word Sadak, which means just. The uh, Sadducees were a quasi-political religious group, very wealthy, materialists, uh, having made the temple their main business venture and um, marking up the uh, sacrifice offerings, putting uh, money changers and taking great percentage and just merchandising the people. And they only accepted the writings of Moses, the first five books, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And of course, they, um, they denied the resurrection, didn't believe that there was any such thing afterwards. So here in the opening verse of 27, who denied that there is a resurrection, They denied the resurrection of the body, the immortality of the soul. This is recorded in Matthew 22, 23, Mark 12, 18, and here again. Notice verse 28, the particular question that Jesus was in the law of Moses, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies 
having a wife, and he dies without children, his brothers should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. The part of the law the Sadducees were referring to was found in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 25, verse 5 through 10. The law is called the liberate law of marriage. The law basically was a provision that the line of the diseased individual relative might be preserved. So if a man died without children, as we're going to see here, having no son, then his brother who wasn't married was to marry his surviving widow. And then the first son to be born would be regarded as the literal son of the dead brother to take up his line and lineage. This was a provision. You see, the hypocritical question about marriage was an attempt to entrap Jesus. Notice, secondly, comes the hypothetical case in marriage, 29 through 33. In 29 through 31, the Sadducees declared a tragic story of one family. The main characters were a group of brothers. Now there were seven brothers Families in those days depended on male children over females. Now, to us, it seems offensive, but you've got to understand the worldview of those days in the culture. Uh, males uh, would pass on the family name, and males would marry, and they would live in the father's house. They would enlarge the house, not diminish it, while the daughter would go to the other husband's house and diminish her father's house. 29 here. Notice the first brother married. His marriage was short-lived. And the first took a wife and died without children. So the woman was a young widow at this point, and she remained as part of the family. They didn't just kick her out. There had been a commitment made, and the family's involved. The second brother fulfilled the liberate obligation also in 30, and the second took her as wife, and he died childless. The woman was still part of the family. The third brother also complied with deliberate obligation. Then the third took her, and he died childless. Now, by this time, you would think that the family might be getting a little suspicious. Maybe they should have checked the uh, bagels or the <laughs> something. Then the fourth to the seventh in verse 31 submitted to this liberate law. In like manner, the seven also, it says, and they left no children and died. Notice the Sadducees declared the tragic end of the woman, now 32 to 33. She came to the end of her life. Last of all, the woman died also. The death of all seven brothers and the woman was used now to present their question to Jesus. In the resurrection, whose wife does she become? And I can just see them with all arrogant pride as they're saying, looking around to the crowd, we have him. The rationale is given. Listen, for all seven had her as wife. They stated this as their evidence that there could not be a resurrection. When she's raised... Well, you do cut her up in seven pieces? Human logic, right? The belief that people die and come back from the dead is used to rationalize that the Bible is not true. 
Again, personal testimonies are given um, of those who see a light and they feel all peace and tranquility. And, uh, you know, they just were just so in awe of it and uh, the supreme being. And, and either were even asked, do you want to go back? So they come back and give their testimony and say, and you know what? I'm not afraid of death. You don't have to worry. It's beautiful. What greater deception? Here's the problem. They're non-believers. They're giving a testimony that contradicts the Bible. Sinful man is under the wrath of God. John 3.36. Sinful man is unholy. God is the epitome of holiness. How can you give a testimony that you're before the holy God and that you're at peace and you've never repented? It's a contradiction to the Bible. Hebrews 9.27. That's appointed to every man and after that the judgment. Now, some Christians have given testimonies like that too. But you can't teach that as doctrine, you understand? It's the scriptures. If you allow that, then the non-believer has as much credibility and they're contradicting the Bible. And Christians have written books, I went to hell, this and that, a bunch of junk. Jesus brought Lazarus back. If God allowed you as a Christian to die on the table and come back, praise God. Thank him. But don't go teach that as doctrine. Satan deceives people as they hear these testimonies. Then what's the conclusion? Well, you don't have to repent. The Bible's wrong because I was tranquil. I was talking to the supreme being. He said, don't worry about it. You're cool, man. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. Good to merit salvation. You can never work your way to heaven. You repent. You're saved by grace of faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That not of yourself is a gift of God. Through the work of Jesus Christ, his atonement. Now, the belief of reincarnation, the cycle of life, you know, many attempts to try to better yourself in life and climb up that ladder of to reach nirvana, like Buddha uh, said you could do it, though he never did it, to escape some kind of judgment and, you know, because you don't believe in resurrection. So you don't want to step on an ant because it might be your auntie. <laughs> you don't want to eat a cockroach because it might be your daddy. You want to eat a cow, it might be your cousin. And rather than creation serving you and being for your benefit, you become in bondage to it, right? Every person has a birth date and a death date. Every person is responsible and accountable to God for what they have done in life. Every person will spend eternity separated from God or with God. People say, well, I don't, even want, I don't know if I want to live eternally. You don't have a choice. You're going to live eternally. All you can do is make your reservation where you want to spend it. When you're going to buy a house, the price depends upon location, location, location. When you're planning on spending eternity, the most important thing is location, location, location. Okay? You get to choose it. The deciding factor is if a person repents of their sin, acknowledging their sinfulness, that God may transform their hearts and change them from day to day, from glory to glory by the Holy Spirit of God. It's called repentance. 
Paul puts it this way, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You go out and you mess around, you get pregnant, young lady, and you're right in the middle of your schooling for your career. Now, you regret it, but you regret the consequences. Not that it was sin against God, sin with someone else, and sin against your own body. So you'll be back to it in a week, a month, or a year again. Godly sorrow means that you recognize that sin is against God. And you ask him forgiveness. And you ask him to change your heart. And you don't go back to that again. We don't regret that we repented. I'm glad that I repented. The hypothetical case in marriage was presented to confirm that there could not be a resurrection as taught by Jesus. They think they have him. They think they have won the argument here. But the story's not over. Notice thirdly, the historical truth about marriage. And you'll know why I named it historical. Because it's history, his story, (laughs) from the beginning to the end. He's the authority on everything. Notice in 34 through 36, the revelation of Jesus about the relationship of marriage after death and the resurrection. Jesus declared that marriage is God's institution for the continuation of the human race. Listen to his words. And Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. God created Adam and Eve, male and female. God created them with the ability to reproduce after their kind. God knew about the fall and that some, through that effect, would genetically be affected and they would not be able to have children. You, I know people who have fallen under that category, but it's the rare exception. The majority of us, even though we are fallen, we can reproduce. Jesus declared that marriage is not part of the next life with God. Next. Listen. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. 35. Those counted worthy to attain this age are those who have repented of their sin in the name of Jesus Christ and born again, die physically, and will be in eternity with Jesus. Simple. Those who are with Jesus have no need to marry, for heaven does not need to be repopulated by natural births, but rather by supernatural births. Okay? Then notice in 36, Jesus declared that death does not exist in heaven, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons, he nails them here, of the resurrection. Now, as Jesus is saying these things, I can see them going from the proud, arrogant look, going to trying to hide in the crowds. They cannot die anymore physically because they are not in a physical body. Simple. 
When we die, our body goes to the grave. It will be raised, glorified, but it's not going to be what is planted into the ground. They cannot die anymore because death is defined biblically as separation from God, and they are present with God for all eternity. On the human side, first step, death, the spirit's free from this body, okay? It's, it, it leaves. And so clinical definition is no more brain waves. There's physical death. But from the biblical perspective, death is separation from God for all eternity. Notice they are equal to the angels, spirit beings, meaning that they are part of the heavenly spiritual world with no need to reproduce physically. Doesn't mean we become angels. It doesn't mean that we become just like angels, but that the aspect that is, is equal here is that we become spirit beings. Angels are spirit beings. The earth of salvation, Hebrews 1.14. Notice he says they are sons of God, sons of the resurrection. They made their decision while on earth to live for God and depend on him until death. The Sadducees are becoming less visible at this point probably. <laughs> Notice in 37 and 38, the revelation of Moses about those who have died knowing God proved the resurrection. This will take all the rest of the air out of the Sadducees. Listen carefully. Jesus declared Moses believed in the resurrection of the dead. Oh, we only accept the five books of Moses. Oh, okay. Let's, let's use them then. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised. The dead are raised is the present tense, emphatic in the Greek. The Sadducees, remember, accepted only the books of Moses. Jesus is quoting Exodus 3, 1 through 6, the second book of Moses, which, by the way, Jesus says that Moses wrote it. <laughs> So much for the higher critics. Jesus confirmed Moses' belief in the resurrection when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, for he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. The patriarchs were alive, not dead. Their bodies were in the tomb, but they were alive. The emphasis on the contrast, the God of the living, not the dead. God's sons and daughters are alive, not dead, living with him. Mark it well in 38. Now, at this point, Matthew and Mark help us out. As they tell us, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God, Matthew twenty two twenty nine and Mark twelve twenty four. This is always the case. This is always the problem with every and any human being. They fail to measure and to judge what they believe by the scriptures. They are not good Bereans, Acts seventeen eleven, who examined to find out if they heard was so. The scriptures is the plumb line. Not the pastor, not the people, not the denomination, not the new movement, but the word of God. Then comes the revelation of the response 
by the scribes, the onseers. Some of the scribes were in the crowd along with the other groups, 39 and 40. The Sadducees don't even want to be there any longer. The scribes commended Jesus. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. Whew. Man, you helped us out. You saved us. <laughs> because if they could have disproved Jesus, they knock off the Pharisees at the same time. The rationalists were corrected in their mistaken theology. The rationalists were given the truth about life after death. The religious men and crowds were silenced. But after that, they dare not question him anymore. One by one, Jesus revealed the heart. One by one, Jesus revealed their error. Just like he did to you when you heard the gospel. Myself and many others. The institution of marriage is for the entire human race, by the way, not just for Christians. Marriage is to be the most fulfilling and rewarding, the union of a man and a woman, though difficult at times because we are sinners, but the most rewarding. Marriage dissolved by death on earth will not diminish our love or knowing each other in heaven. It just will be different. Not as husband and wife, but as brothers and sisters. And though it may be difficult for some and even sad to think that they're not going to be husband and wife and be in that relationship in heaven, you, you have to understand one thing. It's going to be better. Not because you won't be with them, though for some it will. <laughs> Let's face the facts. Okay? but better because you're going to be just like Jesus and we're not going to have sin nature and we are going to be corporately the bride of Christ. Simple. Well, am I going to know my wife? Do you think you're going to be dumber here than over there? Of course you're going to know your wife, but not as your wife. Am I going to know the baby that uh, died when he was only a month old? Yeah, you're going to know him. It's going to be different, but better. Paul put it this way, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Wow. What a glorious day that's going to be. The historical truth about marriage here and eternity after the resurrection was the authority of Jesus. He's the ultimate authority, ladies and gentlemen. You can reject it, but you can't reject the consequences. You can disagree with God, and he gives you all the right to do so. But there's a payment. It's not pretty. This is the attempt by the Sadducees to prove Jesus wrong by asking the question about the relationship of a husband and wife in marriage to refute the resurrection. <laughs> The hypocritical question about marriage was an attempt to entrap Jesus. The hypothetical case in marriage was to confirm that there could not be a resurrection as taught by Jesus. And the historical truth about marriage here in eternity after the resurrection was by the authority of Jesus. Amazing. 
to the point clear and very sensing. Do you believe this? That's the question. It will make a difference where you spend eternity. It doesn't get much clearer than that. The simple truths Jesus taught concerning life in eternity. Pastor Xavier Reese draws out for us from the Gospel of Luke chapter 20 today. And this message titled, Marriage at the Resurrection, is available, as always, on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll also be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is, Marriage at the Resurrection. Or you can simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com